0: Okay, I'm gonna ask you to enter into a little game with me today. And what I want you to do is look up here on the TV or the screen, and what I want you to do is say the color and not read the word. Are you with me? So don't, don't read the word, just say the color. So we're gonna have a rapid fire one, but I want to give you an opportunity, a little slow start. So say the color, not the word. Nah, you said blue. This is green. All right, so you understand the assignment. If you see this, this is? Red. Green. Okay, I heard a couple blues. Just stay with me. Now, this is rapid fire. On your mark, get set. Go. Sounds like y'all are speaking in tongues out there. <laughs> This is called the Stroop Effect. It's a psychological exercise designed to separate the right brain from the left brain and then cause them to come back together and explode. <laughs> Some of you felt that in the beginning. It's, it's hard to do because what you see and what you're supposed to say doesn't line up with what you perceive. And there's this Complex kind of frustrating experience that happens in the moment. And so often life feels exactly like the Stroop effect. What I see and what I feel don't line up. What I believe God has said doesn't match how I feel in the moment. And the enemy is really good at counterfeiting what God has created. And quite often the enemy will take what God has said and twist it so that what you feel doesn't line up with what you see. See, God will say, I never will leave you or forsake you. And the enemy will slip in and whisper to you, then why are you alone? Why are you hurting? God declares you're more than a conqueror. But the enemy whispers to you, then "Then why can't you pay your bills? Or why did that person abandon you? God says, your failure's never final. And the enemy whispers into your ear, yeah, but he probably doesn't know about that secret sin that you can't break. There's often competing voices in our lives, and sometimes what we feel isn't what we see, and what we see isn't what we feel, and God, you declared this, but I don't understand this. Dr. Charles Cooley, the dean of American sociology, said something very important you should take note of. Dr. Charles Cooley said that your self-worth and your self-image, your self-worth and your self-image is determined in large measure, almost exclusively by the person who has the loudest voice in your life. Your self-worth and your self-image is determined almost exclusively by the person that has the loudest voice in your life. Every one of you, whether you're in this room, hanging out with us online, podcasting this later, you have a voice speaking to you and over you. You have a voice in your life that's shaping your self-worth and your identity. You have a voice that's shaping you. The question is, is it God's voice? Let's see, over the next four weeks, we're starting a new series called Game Changer. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a deep dive into Philippians chapter 4. We're going to spend four weeks in one of the most popular chapters in the Bible. Some of the most quoted verses in all of scripture come out of Philippians chapter 4. There are more verses on more coffee cups found in Philippians chapter 4 than I think any other chapter in the Bible. But my prayer for you is that at the end of these weeks, every week, that those verses aren't just like cemented on a coffee mug, but they're like anchored in your heart. And Philippians 4 is a book that Paul wrote to the church he planted in Philippi, one of his favorite churches, a generous church, a life-giving church, a partner in ministry. And Philippians 4, this specific chapter is an incredible picture, listen, of what a maturing believer in Christ looks like. And Paul is gonna deal with very, very practical daily issues that you and I struggle with. Like, how do you rejoice, which means celebrate? Like, how do you rejoice in any and all circumstance, no matter what you face? How do you handle anxiety? How do you deal with division or disunity? How do you win battles in your mind? How do you maintain the faith when life around you feels like it's falling apart? And so, Paul's gonna talk about this. There's words for you from the throne room of God through Paul's pen. So, over the next couple of weeks, be here every week. We're gonna unpack This chapter, we're gonna wring it out and we're gonna soak it in so that in the future, when anxiety pops up, fear creeps in, doubt slips in, man, what's on my lips, what's in my heart is that, man, God is for me and my God is stronger, and I have promises from the Savior who defeated death for me. And we're just gonna spend time like looking at them. So bring a Bible, bring something to write on, bring something to write with, make notes. We are gonna take God's word incredibly seriously and it's gonna change our lives, amen? Amen. So Lord, today your word is life and your word is truth and your word brings hope. And today we're gonna talk about joy and anxiety. And you're going to tell us that we have to rejoice in all things always. And so God, that feels hard. But you have promises that we need to live in. And so help us today be anchored by your word and your truth. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? So we're going to deal today primarily with joy and anxiety. And Paul's going to jump into that in verse four. But before he gets to that, He's going to deal with the issue of unity, and unity quite often is a cause, or our lack of unity, excuse me, is quite often a cause of anxiety. So before we get to that, Paul is going to speak to a very important matter in the church, and that's the issue of unity, and he begins in verse 1, and he says, so then, because in chapter 3, he just said, hey, you're citizens of heaven. your world is not here. You are citizens of heaven, and so you need to lift your eyes and lift your focus. And so he says, therefore, so then, my dearly beloved and longed-for brothers and sisters. Do you see why I said this is one of his favorite churches? Look at the way he describes them. My joy and my crown. In this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. And this is what he's going to ask him to do. I urge you, Eodia, that's a a lady, and I urge you, Syntyche, that's another woman, to do what? Agree in the Lord. There's this unity in the church in Philippi. We don't know exactly what, but Epaphroditus brought a gift to Paul while Paul's in prison, and while he's there, he's telling them about the church, and apparently this issue that's going on between these two ladies comes up, and Paul wants to deal with it. So he says to them, Yes, I also ask you, true partners, help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side. So they're believers, they're faithful women who are somehow, for some reason, butting heads and causing disunity in the church, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. So he's saying to them, you need to get along and have unity. So Paul, before he gets to joy and anxiety, deals with the importance of unity. And one of the reasons why Paul deals with it is because it's essential that we, as the people of God, have unity. This is an unmistakable reality in scriptures. Unity is a central theme in the Bible for believers. If you read through the book of Acts, you won't see God moving in power Until unity is present in the church. When unity shows up in the church, God's power always follows it. One of the things Jesus prayed for was that his people would be united. Paul is going to command unity in the New Testament. It's it's so important to the Apostle Paul that when he hears about the division between these two ladies, he takes a moment to pin a part of the Bible to address it. And one of the reasons why unity is so important for us as a church is because it allows us to stay focused on Jesus and people. We want to be in love with Jesus, growing in Jesus, introducing new people to Jesus and helping them grow in Jesus. That's our focus and attention. But when there's division, well, all that does is divert my attention away from Jesus and people away from serving others, away from loving others, then all of a sudden I've got resources and energy and manpower all directed towards trying to solve this unity. More than that, Jesus said, hey, do you know how people will actually know you're my followers? It won't be that you go to church. It won't be that you carry a Bible. It won't be that you have a bumper sticker that says something about Jesus. It won't be any of that. Do you know how people are gonna know that we're his followers? He said, by the love that you have for one another. The way you treat people. It's not what you say, it's what you do. And so Paul is like, you've gotta be unified. And unity is incredibly important. And unity is a choice that we all make. It's an intentional decision here at this church because it's an intentional decision. God says believers are supposed to have. So wait, what do we need to be united around? And is unity just buy a bunch of tandem bikes and we ride down the street? Is unity us singing kumbaya around a campfire? Not at all. Listen, our staff team here have robust dialogue all the time because we don't always agree. We have conversations, hey, I think we should go right, I think we should go left. We're constantly kind of debating and dealing with issues of methodology, how we're going to apply things, but we're always united around two things. Number one is our theology, that's our understanding of God. Like as partners here, as staff here, our theology is what we believe as a church, And we believe there's open-handed issues. You know what? I'm not exactly sure the Bible's crystal clear about that. When exactly Jesus is coming back and some of the other issues. And we can agree to disagree as long as we do it kindly. But there are closed-handed issues. And then if you disagree on the closed-handed issues, you are not in the faith. And so we have closed-handed theological issues we're not gonna disagree on. Now, you can disagree with us on that and come and gather with us every week. But man, if you want to be a partner here and belong here or our staff here, like we got to be united. Second to our theology is our missiology. That's the mission of our church. We're going to be disciples that multiply disciples. We are going to constantly be trying to tell others about Jesus and multiplying others into the kingdom of God. That's what we're going to do. That's our mission. It will never change. Our methods, we adopt all the time. They change. One of our leadership values here is called mission over methods. And we want you to marry the mission and date the methods because the methods might change. I had a person come in when we were planting the church and said, hey, I will join your your church if you'll start a handbell choir in the foyer. If you don't, we won't. I said, bye. In a kind way, but I said, listen, I don't know that that's part of who we are and I'm not opposed to handbells and I think they're amazing, but we're probably not gonna do that. And if you're so tied to one method, And that's the only reason you want to be here, then you don't love our mission. I want you here because you love the mission, not a particular method. And methods are going to change. And when we change a method, it might frustrate you a little bit, and I get that, but I want you to marry the mission and date the method because methods are going to change. You with me? So Paul talks about unity. And then he's going to move now into this idea of joy and anxiety. Check out what he says in verse 7. He says rejoice in the Lord always and I'll say it again rejoice let your graciousness be known to everyone the Lord is near don't worry about anything now most of you could probably highlight that in your Bible put a check mark by it done you got this one solved right But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Check out the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Wow. These three verses are amazing. There's so much weight here. And in a sentence... Here's what Paul is telling you in these three verses. Paul says, decide to rejoice instead of being anxious. What Paul is saying to you, this is a choice you need to make. Decide to rejoice instead of being anxious. Now, by the way you're looking at me, I can tell this is easy for all of you. And what Paul is going to do is he's going to lay out several different ideas because rejoicing in all things and not being anxious is easy to say and hard to do. If you agree with that, say amen. So what I want to do is start with this idea of not being anxious, and we'll come back to rejoicing in all things. So I want to ask a question, and then we'll come back to a biblical Solution And so the questions I want to ask is this, what causes anxiety? There are several different things. And then what are some symptoms of anxiety? And so first, we'll deal with the first one. What causes anxiety? And I'll give you a non-clinical definition. So you don't have to write this down. This is a non-clinical definition. But anxiety is anticipating the future and the worst possible scenario and then freaking out about it. As a non-clinical definition, it's going to be bad, it's going to be really bad. It could go this way, they could say this, and then that could happen, and then I could respond this way, and we just wear ourselves out to a point of anxiety. And there are actual causes, some more simple than you realize. Number one, disunity. Paul's already talked about it disunity causes anxiety not only does disunity cause it but so does technology there is constant noise in our lives keeping us from intimacy with God and technology can lead to anxiety what about this one traffic show of hands how many of y'all ever feel anxious in traffic how many of you don't like to drive because no one else knows how to one of the best things I heard was from another pastor, and he said, We'll clear up our traffic issue in our town if your license plate was your cell phone number. <laughs> Someone cuts you off, you could just text them, Hey! But then remember, you're known by your love for one another, so just think about it. Other reasons are fractured family systems, and that, that causes pain and depression and anxiety, it hurts financial pains, but this one's interesting, success. Success can sometimes cause more anxiety than failure. Why? Well, when you fail, people rally around you, they support you, they rub your back, they bring you muffins, they're there for you. But quite often, when you succeed, you get a raise, you're good at your job, then, then people often come after you. Are they frustrated with you? I deserve that, not you. I should have gotten that, not you. And then you have to manage it and you have to keep it. And what got you there won't keep you there. And sometimes success causes more anxiety than failure. Some of the symptoms, just as a diagnosis, are unusual mood swings, anger, general irritability. So If the t-shirt you get from your spouse or your kids every year says grumpy on it, that's a clue that this could be you. Exhaustion, disassociation. If people are like, hey, are you paying attention? Hey, are you with me? And your answer is not since 2010, that's a clue. Difficulty falling asleep is also a sign. Sleeping is such a simple thing but quite often we just lay there and stare at the ceiling, I, I can't sleep. And now I'm stressed about the fact that I'm sleeping. And now I'm gonna be tired. And now I'm stressed about all the fatigue that's probably gonna be in my future. And then, and what about this one, addiction to caffeine. I'm, I'm hesitant to put this one on the list because I love coffee so much. But I won't pick on coffee, I'll pick on this. Have you seen the amount of energy drinks available to us now? Everything has energy in it now juice boxes for kids, now with energy, because that's what an eight year old needs. But the size of some of these energy drinks, I think you need a pickup truck to get them home, and people are like, look, I was anxious, and I was stressed, and I wasn't sleeping, so now I have an energy drink, and so I'm anxious, and stressed, and really excited! But, but, but most of those are just coping mechanisms, And you keep leaning into them, and over time you find that you can't even enjoy simple pleasures, which leads to more addiction, more stimulation, more anxiety. We've had cultural shifts that have happened in a very short period of time. Pillars of our society like government, religion, education, and family that we're supposed to build our lives around are crumbling and cracking. They're supposed to stand the test of time, but they're not holding up. The market has been volatile. Gas prices are on the rise. Pastors have failed. People have failed. We've been abandoned. And how many of you? You don't have to raise your hand. But in this season, you feel or have felt in the last 12 to 24 months more stress than at any point in your life. Anxiety and stress and depression is up 300% right now. If you go online or watch the news or read the New York Times, they'll say just have behavioral therapy, cognitive therapy, take antidepressants, aromatherapy, acupuncture, those sort of things. Now, look, I'm a huge fan of getting good exercise. We'll talk about that in a minute. There are times when you need to see a doctor and get a prescription I'm always a fan of a good biblical counselor in your life. But what Paul is going to say to you today is this is an intentional choice that you have to make. Regardless of your circumstance, your past, your struggles, it's a decision. It's a decision. And I talked to our lead counselor. Some of you remember he spoke here 2 years ago in a series on marriage, Kincore been leading our counseling ministry for years. I said, could you just give me some simple things to share before I give them the biblical solutions as well? Because it's it's an intentional choice that we make to push back against that. So he sent me a list of some simple steps. Number one, structure. Structure is an antidote to anxiety in your life. The more structure You have the more routine, the better you will manage anxiety. Have a schedule for your day, your week, and your month. It's one of the first and most simple steps you'll have. Two, we've already talked about it, sleep. It's critical for your mood management. If you don't have a good sleep routine, you are setting yourself up for failure. The average teenager needs at least seven to nine hours a night. The average adult needs a minimum of six to seven hours. Go to bed at the same time, get up at the same time for one month and see how you feel. Some of you are just drudging through your days because you're not even doing basic things like sleep and structure couple of other things he suggested, keep a daily journal. It's proven that writing down the simple joys in your life leads to greater happiness and contentment in your life. A support system, we don't talk about our groups here because we're trying to pad or build our numbers, but we believe that you need to develop relationships in your life that you can count on and confide in. If you're not in a group, I strongly encourage you, get in a group. Other things, spiritual disciplines, prayer, Bible study, corporate worship, God gave us those things for a reason. And then last, we've mentioned it, but exercise. And I know when I say this, I sound like your mom. Okay, I'm not your mom. But when you exercise, it is a mood manager. It releases dopamine, and other chemicals that actually, scientifically reduce stress. Some of you face more anxiety and fear and uncertainty because you won't do the basic things in your life. And Paul says, don't be anxious! Paul, come on, settle down. But Paul says, you don't have to feel as anxious as you do. And not only are there simple steps, but Paul actually gives us a biblical response. Look at what Paul says. Paul says in verse four, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I say it again, rejoice. And some of you, when you see the word always think, I can't be what it means in the Greek. That's a lot. Always certainly doesn't mean that. No, that's actually what it means. No, wait, it must mean rejoice in the Lord sometimes. You know, pick a Saturday or a Tuesday or, you know, every other weekend. I'll rejoice then. No, no, Paul says always. Are you sure that's what it means? I'm positive. That's what it means. I'm so positive, and so is Paul, that he said it twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again because some of you didn't listen the first time. Rejoice. Don't be anxious about anything. That's what Paul's going to say next. Well, wait, what if I have a good reason? What you don't understand is if you read this verse, there's probably an asterisk next to this verse with my picture or my family or my situation because Paul's a first century guy and we're 2,000 years later and he couldn't have imagined what I'm dealing with and what I'm facing. And if Paul would have known, and if God would have really had a, a good vision of the future, he would have known there's an exception for me. No, there's not. Paul's in prison facing death, I think he gets situations that could cause anxiety. Amen? And rejoicing in the Lord always is a really difficult idea to accomplish. It's easy to say, it's, it's, it's churchy, but it's hard to implement because the reality is people in our life let us down. Loved ones get sick. Family members die. Sometimes our life gets unhinged with one phone call. And so, Paul, you say rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul, how? Even if I try my simple steps, Paul, it doesn't seem that easy. Well, he's not done. Look at what he says in verse 5. Let your graciousness, this is just like like that calm spirit about you, be known to everyone, and here's why. Look, the Lord is what? Why can I rejoice always, Paul? Why? Because the Lord is near. So on your worst day, when you've worn out the knees in your jeans, from being on the floor praying and your face has been in your hands and you don't feel like you can catch your breath because you've been crying with friends or family gathered around you can say god you are enough and in the moment of the deepest possible pain you could say you're enough and i trust you even though my heart feels like it may not beat again i trust you because you're near And rejoicing that he calls us to do isn't like cheerleading. It's not spirit fingers. Oh, this horrible thing is so great. It it literally means like a calm joy. Regardless of what I'm facing, I'm at rest. Maybe not with a smile, but deep inside. My soul is okay. Because I'm not without hope. God didn't rescue any of you to destroy you later in life. He rescued you to keep you now and forever. So Paul says, verse six, don't worry about anything. What are you going to fear if God's with you? We don't fear those who can crush our body, only those who can kill our soul. And no one can do that but God alone. So don't be anxious or worry about anything. But in everything, check this out, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Some of you deal with more anxiety and issues than is necessary. Not only have you not done the simple steps, but when is the last time you just entered into God's presence? Petitions is like making asks. God, could you? God, would you? God, I long for? And then do it with thanksgiving. And see, here's the, the beauty in what Paul wrote. The reason why it's with Thanksgiving is it's not because we're promised that God's gonna do what we ask. It's not because I'm guaranteed a yes. The reason why I could do my prayer, my petition with Thanksgiving, listen, look right here, is because in that moment, God sees me. God communes with me. I'm invited into his presence, into his intimacy, into that moment he sees and he knows. And one way or another, he's going to answer my prayer with a yes, a no, or a later. But in that moment, I convene with my creator and I pray and I make a petition. God, would you do this? And I could do it with thanksgiving because I know he's seen me and I know he's seen my life, and he holds it. And I can walk away and say, God, I I can do it with thanksgiving, not because of what I've seen you do, but because of who I know that you are. Whether it goes well in this world or it doesn't, I can make my requests known with thanksgiving. And then look, look at the promise that comes with this sort of a lifestyle. This is why I told you this is a picture of the maturing life of the believer because look at the promise next. And what? Peace of God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's not a person in this room that doesn't long for more of the peace of God. And Paul is giving you a formula to walk into that peace. You ever looked at someone who's going through something and they have this quiet resolve about them? Sure, they they feel crushed on every side. Yes, they feel broken. Yes, it's hard for them to even speak, but you look at them and you go, how are they doing that? It's the peace of God and then have you ever thought to yourself I couldn't do what they do in this that could never be that strong you ever thought that see here, here's one of the reasons why because peace often doesn't arrive until the moment you need it some of you are freaking out about tomorrow can I give you a promise God doesn't give you grace for tomorrow some of you are freaking about, freaking out about what if? God doesn't give you grace for your imagination. God gives you grace for the moment. I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know when you step in, peace of God. Peace of God. And it's a promise for you. That's why Paul says. You can rejoice in all things. I'll say it to you again, rejoice. Because no matter what comes my way, I get an opportunity to convene with my creator. I get an opportunity to make petitions. And I can be thankful. Because regardless of what happens in the future, I'm confident that when I step into that moment, best day, worst day, God's near. And there's a peace of God. Now listen, I'm a pastor and I'm paid to do what I do, but that doesn't mean I don't have the same struggles that you have. This is a very churchy sermon that you're hearing today. There's a reason why these verses are incredibly popular and we know them and we've heard them. The challenge for you this week is to take something that you've maybe heard a hundred times and actually start implementing some of it. There are simple steps. What what is it that's keeping you from having more peace and battling more anxiety? What's, what's one, one prayer that you need to make today? There's a petition that you need to ask of God. There's a little legitimate concern. There's something that weighs on you, something that burdens you. There's, there's something you long would be different. Like what, what is it that you could today say, God, you know this about me and my life or my kids or my family or my job. What is it, health, that you could say, God, you know this? And God, I'm asking you that you would do blank. That is a beautiful prayer, God. Would you, God? Could you? Would you do this? And then what I'm going to ask you to do is take a next step and open both hands and say, "I'm going to do it with with thankful heart, because you've seen me, because you know me, and you love me and you care for me. So I'm going to trust you because you're near." And I'm going to trust you that no matter what happens in that moment, I'm promised your peace. 2 Corinthians one twenty. listen, this is beautiful. It says, every one of God's promises, every one is yes in Jesus. Every one of his promises. Therefore, through Jesus, we have an amen to give, to the glory of God. Isn't that good? Because it's already done. It's already finished. Jesus has already declared and accomplished victory. And some of us, there's joy waiting on us if we would just give the amen that God wants us to give. And you got an amen to give. So we don't have to know everything and we don't have to have it all figured out. But there's a God who loves you, who is good, and who does good. And we can trust him. Amen? Stand with me. We're gonna sing just a verse about the faithfulness of God, and, and I'm gonna encourage those of you who have an issue in your life that you feel stressed or burdened about. That this is a chance for you to just put in a prayer through a song of faith to the Lord. Let's let's sing this chorus.